minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
J.M. in the A.M. Raza de Shabbos has done by uh, Chazen Yanki Lemmer from the CD It Is Shabbos. Before that, Yossi Green with Kilak Achtov from Yiddish Nachas. Yerda Kolotova done by, Yossi, by Yosef Chaim, Benny Friedman and Company. Just One Shabbos from the special Just One Shabbos cover for the Shabbos project. Uh, Ke'ayal done by the... Um, uh, done by, uh, the brand new Kumtanz CD in Regesh Modani, Regesh Modani opening things up as we say good morning. It's Friday on this October 31st, final day of October of 2014, day seven in the month of Marcheshvan, the year 5775, Tufshin Ayin Hay. In Israel, they are saying the same Tal Umatar. That is not what's happening outside of Israel, so don't panic if you're in the U.S. Uh, we don't start saying it till December, uh, but in Israel they've already started saying it as of uh, last night. Candle lighting on this era of Shabbos, Parshas Lechacha 533 on this era of Shabbos, 533 official candle lighting time. If you think that's early, wait till next week, then you'll really think it's early. We change the clock tomorrow night, Sunday morning. Sunday will be uh, 2 a.m., will become 1 a.m. We will fall back. Uh, one hour to standard time, and there'll again be a seven-hour time difference between us and the state of Israel. By the way, if you're wondering about, since Israel's on standard time already, if you're wondering when candle lighting is in Jerusalem, 4.11. 4.11 is candle lighting in Jerusalem. So things are getting early. Tuesday's election day. Tuesday's election day. We don't have to emphasize to this audience the importance of voting in every single election. I hope everyone takes it seriously, and in fact, We'll go out there and vote uh, this coming Tuesday. Election Day happens Tuesday in the U.S. Partly cloudy with a high temperature. Oh, speaking of Election Day, Dominic Recchia, who's running for Congress, is supposed to join us in a few minutes. Uh, and Cory Booker, Senator Booker, is supposed to join us in the 7 o'clock hour this morning. Senator Cory Booker is expected to join us in the 7 o'clock hour before we get to our weekly update. That should be interesting. Coming up here at JM in the AM, 44 degrees, partly cloudy, a high temperature of 58. Then tonight, showers with a low of 48. Tomorrow, showers and a high temperature, 52 degrees. Usual limes at 72. We're at 44 here in Jersey City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. 23 minutes before 7 o'clock. Or by Uden, of course, at 815. Malco Honline will do the uh, weekly update coming up 
lots going on, plenty to discuss. We will get to all of it um, between now and 9 a.m. Naomi Nachman at 9 o'clock with a great edition of Table for Two. We had an unbelievable reaction to our programming yesterday on jmandam.org. All through the day and even the night, Michael Fragan's show on politics last night had a tremendous reception. Uh, we are going to continue to uh, provide and grow and uh, give everybody what uh, uh, what we're able to do best, phenomenal content for our community uh, here at the Nahum Siegel Network. And uh, we appreciate everybody tuning in all day long with the app and with every other method at jmandtheam.org. Here's Barry Weber at JM in the AM.
here at JM in the AM. Barry Weber before that with Limik Dashech from the Ben Melech CD. Well, election day is Tuesday, and in many cases when we're asked uh, to speak with some of the candidates on the air, especially those that have um, an amazing uh, show of support from uh, members of our community, very often we'll do so. We've spoken to some of the candidates already this week, and we'll speak to more, I'm sure, before Tuesday. This morning's conversation, though, I invited Dominic Recchia on simply because in the past he has been an amazing friend. And we just want to wish him good luck. He's running for Congress, uh, Brooklyn, Staten Island, this coming Tuesday. He has always been there for us. We know him a very, very long time from the early days in the city council. And we just wanted to take this opportunity to thank him and wish him good luck on Tuesday. Uh, Dominic Recchia, uh, a candidate for United States House of Representatives, welcome back to JM in the AM. Oh, good morning, and thanks for having me back on the show. It's great to be here. I appreciate it. I remember our first encounter when you first met in the city council, what seems like a thousand years ago. <laughs> That's right. You know, and uh, it was there that I, uh, you know, I'm very, you know, in the city council, I represent a very large Jewish community. Oh, yes. And, and I was always there, and I was, you know, made sure that, uh, you know, we work with the community to make sure that they got the services they needed and the funding that they got. And when I became the finance chairman and negotiated the budget for a number of years with uh, former mayor Michael Bloomberg, I, you know, made sure that the Jewish communities throughout New York City uh, was taking, you know, to receive the funding that they needed. Now, I'm telling you, some some of your colleagues got in trouble because of you, because when people from the community would go to you, there was never a no, and when they'd go to other people, they wouldn't always be able to live up to that. So you always you always seem to think there was a way, and there's a and that there look, you know, you're from a tough Brooklyn neighborhood, so you're you're always there as a fighter, and you've always fought for our community, for all the communities of New York. And I just I felt it was appropriate after uh, knowing all this about you to simply say thank you and to wish you good luck on Tuesday. What's today like, by the way? Is today a a ferry day, a train day, where you're going to be hanging out a couple of days before Election Day? Uh, no, today is, you know, we'll be out there talking to voters. I'll uh, be going to a, a school this morning and then uh, doing senior centers and talking to different people, talking to the voters and getting and about my record, you know, for the last 12 years. I uh, was councilman. I negotiated the budget as the finance chairman, right. and I made sure that Staten. I know a lot of times people in Staten Island feel that they're the forgotten borough, and I made sure that uh, Staten Island always received their fair share, and they got the services and the funding that they needed. You know, from their cultural institutions to their not-for-profits. By the way, speaking of Staten Island, did you enjoy the uh, holiday visit to the new Springville Jewish Center? Was that a was that a good day out there on Staten Island? Mm-hmm. 
Yes, it was good. I, I was out there for the Sankutora celebration, <laughs> and I, I was there talking to Rabbi Seal and talking uh, to you know all his parishioners, and we were out there. Uh, you know, it was a great event. Dominic Recchi, you would never miss a good Simchus Torah celebration, huh? That's for sure. You know, it's funny because a lot of people don't realize you know, they thought that was the first time I've ever been to a Simchus Torah celebration. <laughs> and uh, I said, you know, it's the first one in Staten Island. I remember saying to you once that you've been in more sukkahs than I have. With, That's for sure. With, with the rounds that you made every single year when you were when you were in the city council and now running for Congress. <laughs> I'm running for Congress, and, you know, a lot of people don't realize, you know, um, I'm a friend to you know to the Jewish community, and I always will be. And uh, Israel is very important. We must be, uh, you know, make it clear, make our position very, very clear that when I am the congressman, that we must support Israel and stand by Israel. And I think uh, it's important for people to know that. You know that um, what you just said. It's interesting because uh, it, it became Israel became a local issue in New York for any public official, just for the, for the nature of the community. And you're familiar with that, but obviously. As a member of the House of Representatives, you could have even more influence in that area. Yeah, we have to make clear to the world what the priorities of the U.S. are, and the priorities of the U.S. lies with Israel. We must make everyone understand that they're our ally, and we will stand with them no matter what. And especially some, you know, we have some uh, issues that are coming up, and one of the biggest issues is Iran. Yep. We must make sure that Iran never gets nuclear weapons. No question about it. Like I said, as a member of Congress, you could have a lot more influence than uh, one can have on a local basis. Dominic, what can I tell you? It's uh, you know, When I first heard you were running, I was thrilled. Uh, you're somebody who's always been there. You're somebody who's been there for us. Uh, you're somebody who I think that Brooklyn and Staten Island uh, – have a great affinity for. I, I hope the race is going well. What, what's the feeling out there? Are you getting a good feeling as things are moving along? Yeah, the feeling is great. People are excited. Uh, you know, people are hearing about the issues. They want to hear about what I'm going to do, you know, um, about my 12 years city council. And then when I get to Congress, how I'm going to fight to improve the transportation in this district, fight for funding, fight for middle-class tax cuts, fight for funding, you know, for our schools, fight for uh, making sure that um, women are protected, equal pay for equal women. Why? I have three daughters. Why shouldn't they be paid the same as a man? You know, and to raise the minimum wage. You know, the cost of living has gone up, but the minimum wage has not. Well, there's no question you have a lot of initiatives out there that you've been speaking about and a lot of different issues. By the way, the other night when uh, I saw this on TV, the, the moderator uh, tried to get you with one of those questions of when you've disagreed with Mayor de Blasio. And I said, yeah. boy, boy, do they have the wrong guy here. You're going to come right back with an answer. And sure enough, you were, you were able to uh, clearly identify when and when not you'd agree and disagree with the mayor of New York. You know, listen, you know what? I don't always agree, and I'm not a party person. You know, I like to work with Republicans and Democrats to get something done, and I think that's the issue we need right now. We need to go to Washington, and Republicans and Democrats must work together to get things done for our country. Dominic, we wish you the best of luck on uh, Tuesday. Thanks so much for joining us, and like I say, uh, we've always had an amazing relationship, and I know what the uh, what a good part of our community thinks of you, and what can I say? Uh, good luck, and I uh, hope it goes well on Tuesday. Thank you very much, Knox, and thank you for having me on your show this morning. Dominic Recchi is running for Congress, and um, we remember when he was first a member of city council, and he has always been a great friend to our community. 
And uh, we wish him luck on uh, Tuesday uh, in both Brooklyn and Staten Island. Erev Shabbos, Parshas Lech Lecha, candle lighting at 5.33 on this Erev Shabbos as we continue at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmtheam.org.
Yossi Green with Keladon. Friday morning on this Arab Shabbos Parsha. Lech Lecha, candle lighting at 5.33. Uh, we'll be on standard time next week. We'll switch this coming Sunday morning to standard time. Fall back one hour. And boy, will things get earlier. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Golly, it's on the background. News from Israel is next. Senator Cory Booker expected about 725 this morning here at JM and the AM. Weekly update, of course, or by Uden and plenty more before we wrap up this show. Golly, it's all Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast, and 1 p.m. newscast for a Friday next at JM and the AM. גליצה על השעה אחת, כאן שיבל קרמי מנסור עם מה שקורה עכשיו. המתיחות בירושלים, כמה צעירים מוסלמים ניסו לפרוץ בכוח למתחם הר הבית ונעצרו, כתבנו יותם ברקר. שר לביטחון הפנים אהרונוביץ' ומפכ"ל המשטרה דנינו הגיעו שניהם לאזור העיר העתיקה בירושלים על מנת ללוות את אבטחת הבירה ובפרט את אזור הר הבית. ההר נפתח הבוקר למוסלמים לאחר שאתמול היה סגור בפניהם לראשונה זה יותר מעשור. עם זאת המשטרה עדיין לא מאפשרת כניסת גברים מתחת לגיל 50 לרחבת ההר, מחשש שיפרו את הסדר. סמוך להר יגעו מספר פלסטינים צעירים זיקוקים לפני זמן קצר, ונסו לפרוץ לתוך הרחבה, השוטרים פיזרו אותם, איש לא נפגע. מוקדם יותר הזהירה ירדן מפני משבר חריף עם ישראל, אם המצב בירושלים יחמיר. זהו דובר ממשלת ירדן, מוחמד אל-מומני, שאמר לערוץ הטלוויזיה סקאי ניוז בשפה הערבית, הסכם השלום הירדני הישראלי יעמוד בסכנה אם ישראל תמשיך לפגוע במזרח ירושלים ובמתחם הקדוש. אל-מומני הוסיף שסגירת הר הבית אתמול בפני מתפללים מהווה עלבון כלפי מיליארד ושבע מאות מיליון המוסלמים ברחבי העולם. ידיעה שהעביר כתבנו ג'קי חוגי. בעקבות ההסלמה בירושלים נועדו אתמול בלילה הרב הראשי לישראל, הרב דוד לאו, והשייח' מוחמד קיואן אבו עלי, יושב ראש איגוד אנשי הדת המוסלמים ממג'ל אל-קרום. שני מנהיגי הדתות נפגשו כדי לשדר מסר של פיוס ושלום בין העמים. עיריית בת ים יוצאת במסע הסברה לחלוקת משאבים צודקת יותר בינה לבין תל אביב בעקבות הכוונה לאחד את שתי הערים. כתבתנו שרון פולבר עיריית בת ים שלחה הבוקר מסרון ל-50 אלף תושבי תל אביב, בהם ראש העיר, בו נכתב, זו אני השכנה, אני לא מתכוונת לשתוק יותר, אתם מקבלים הרבה יותר ממני, זה לא צודק, השבוע דברים השתנו בינינו. המסרון נשלח לקראת כינוסה בשבוע הבא של הוועדה שמינה שר הפנים, לדיון מכריע בעניין זה. תחזית מזג האוויר, גשם וסופות רעמים ברוב חלקי הארץ. שימו לב, הקפת הכינרת באופניים נדחתה בשל מזג האוויר. אירוע סובב הכינרת המסורתי שתוכנן להתקיים מחר נדחה ליום שבת בעוד שבועיים. כתבנו גיא ורון מוסר כי ההחלטה התקבלה על פי דרישת משטרת ישראל. ולסיום, לקראת חגיגות ליל הקדושים הלילה הוציאו בסין איסור על לבישת תחפושות ברכבת התחתית. כתבתנו נועם דהן. נא לא ללבוש בגדים מוזרים בתחנות הרכבת התחתית, זה יכול לגרום להתקהלות וצרות. כך נכתב הבוקר לקראת ליל כל הקדושים בעיתון שמוציא לאור הממשל הסיני. המשטרה המקומית בבייג'ינג הזהירה את האזרחים שמי שימצא מחופש יובא למעצר. ליל כל הקדושים לא נחגג בסין, אך יש המציינים אותו. אלה החדשות שעורכת טלי חזקאלי. שמלך
the AM. Ari Goldwag with Menucha Simcha, Simcha Liner before that, Karachem. The Maccabees had Achenu, Chaim Yisrael with Va'afilu, and Sholi opened up that set with Hashem Melech. Very appropriate that we have Senator Booker with us on a Friday, since every time I see him, he's discussing the Torah portion of the week. So it's very appropriate that he joins us on a Friday morning at JM in the AM. Senator, welcome back to JM in the AM. It is great to be back on. Great I, to be back on. I appreciate that. I, I always thought in the Newark days we'd get you in studio one day to to have some stunt between you and our friend, the Jersey City Mayor Stephen Fulop. That never developed because now you're not representing Newark anymore. You're representing the entire state of New Jersey. How has that transition been? It's really been phenomenal. I, I just, uh, you know, this has been a year. You know, I'm a North Jersey guy, but it's been great a year getting to know South Jersey, visiting with everybody from our agricultural uh, 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 interests to our fisheries to, uh, you know, from Camden County all the way down to Cape May. It's just been a great year. Unbelievable state, huh? We've got an incredible state out here. <laughs> we really do. That's for sure. And you know you know that I'm a Newark boy from the South Ward, so uh, our roots are similar. Um, so it, it, you go to Washington, the media that had always been criticizing you for being too high profile, now is saying you're too low profile. You can't win, huh? No, you can't. You can't. And look, you know, if, if everybody likes you, you're probably not doing that much. And uh, for me, it's just going down there and being authentic and uh, fighting hard to deliver for our state. And it's been a good year to hit some solid singles and doubles on everything from getting more police on the streets, helping towns from Newark to Trenton, get cops grants, or helping our community colleges get resources to connect folks to jobs. So helping people that were uh, dealing with Sandy aid, problems with Sandy aid, or families uh, that were losing their homes. It's been, a, it's been a good year of being there for our state, from infrastructure investment uh, to small businesses, and uh, just loving it. But you know what? You, ne- you, can't, you can't read your own press clippings. You, and as I learned when I was younger, you know, don't, uh, don't believe the critics or uh, the too, compl- too many compliments. Don't let the compliments go to your head. The critics go to your heart. Yeah, stay right there in the, in the in the safe center when it comes to that stuff. Senator Cory Booker is with us live via telephone. Uh, you know you know what the atmosphere is. I mean, uh, there are a lot of people running in this country right now who would prefer not to have President Obama at their side. Uh, his favorable ratings, I guess, are not uh, you know where he would like them to be. Is, is this typical midterm election atmosphere? How do you look at the way people are viewing Washington right now? You know, I, I think it's understandable, frankly. I mean, you, you, you get a lot of uh, you have a lot of challenges here in America, and things that are almost common sense that we have to do, from investing in our infrastructure, deal with the uh, out of control rising cost of college. You have a lot of insecurity on the national scene, uh, from ISIS to Ebola. So I, I think that people, understandably, are frustrated. I, I've been down there now for a year and uh, haven't liked the level of partisanship and really want to make the theme of my time in the Senate. Getting up, uh, rising above that partisanship, bringing people together not to go left or right, but to go forward. And, uh, you know, so we've, we've got to change things in Washington. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be clear, especially if we're going to get back to the things that help to build a great country uh, in the first place. And that, that means that we need to focus on immigration reform. We need to focus on uh, getting our GDP growth back to an even better clip than it's now. And uh, uh, I understand frustrations, but the key is not to surrender to cynicism. The key is for more folks to get involved, and we contribute to it when we stay on the sidelines. I, I hear so many people say, "Why should I vote 
not going to make a difference. Well, people's not voting is what allows politicians to be less accountable. And so I'm hoping that people get more involved and not less. Uh, we're always a country that built this nation from the grassroots up, but I hope we continue to do that. Yeah. Leaders in the Jewish community, and, and as you know, there's no such thing as a member of the Jewish community who's not a leader, uh, <laughs> have always uh, surmised that there's tremendous support in Congress for the state of Israel. You're now an insider for us. Would you confirm that there is, thank God, a, a good level of support for Israel in both the U.S. House and Senate? No, thank God is right. In Baruch Hashem, even, uh, the reality <laughs> is, is, look, we, we, there's very few issues that really unify a Congress. And uh, whether you're far left or far right, I, I, everybody seems to come together when it comes to defending our ally and, and uh, knows that we have a unique and, and intimate connection with, with the state of Israel uh, from our common enemies uh, to, a, to a common culture. And, you know, this is what frustrated me, especially during the long summer, is just to see how quickly uh, anti-Semitism just flares globally uh, from challenges in Europe to even things I saw here at home. And, you know, it, we're Israel's ally. We're the ones that uh, are going to stand with Israel when nobody will, and I'm glad to see that unwavering uh, categorical support uh, in Congress. Is this campaign like any other campaign for you? I mean, obviously, when you were running in Newark, so you'd spend the time there and visit people and institutions in the city. Is it essentially the same, but just on a statewide level? No, it's, a, it's very different. You know, uh, Newark ultimately is a small place. It's a small town. We may be the biggest city, but, um, you know, you could literally knock on all the doors or at least uh, uh, get to every single neighborhood, every single community, and have those face-to-face conversations. I spent this last year trying to do it in New Jersey, but with, you know, 9 million people, it's, it's, it's a lot harder. So, uh, you know, you just have to work even more intensely. In these last days, we've been going 14, 15 hours around the clock, uh, moving around. I've got my mom here, my brother here. <laughs> as much as possible, I want to let folks know that, that uh, nobody's going to outwork me in terms of serving them. And, and uh, you know, we have so many different and distinct communities. It just takes a lot. A lot of effort, a lot of travel, a lot of miles on the car. But at the end of the day, this you know, a lot of people might complain that, that are in politics about this part of the job. Uh, but I really love it. It's those real connections you can make with people that makes the most difference. And now with social media, uh, I have even a, a greater ability to connect with folks. It takes a lot more work, but I'm often responding to uh, uh social media later in the night, just trying to make sure people know that I'm here for them if they need me. Senator Cory Booker with us. Uh, have you gotten photos with all 99 other members of the Senate yet? <laughs> I haven't. But, you know, it, it's, 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 it's gotten way more attention than it probably deserves. <laughs> but one thing I do love is that, uh, you know, when I post nice things about my colleagues, I often hear, especially from my Republican colleagues, from their staff and others, that they appreciate. You know, we, this, we've got to find ways to reach across the aisle, and whether it's uh, taking a picture with them and posting it on Instagram, going to the Senate gym, going to the prayer breakfast, asking members out to dinner in the Republican Party. All those things are just really important to put a foundation uh, down to build uh, to build uh, 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 constructive things for our, our country. So you're going to see me doing a lot of stuff uh, to try to bridge the divide between left and right down in Washington. No, that's a good thing, and if anybody can do it, it's certainly you. Uh, all right, um, you're one of the only public officials we could ask this question to. Unfortunately, many others would not even know what we're talking about. Uh, you're always familiar with the Torah portion, and you know that we're starting to uh, read about Abraham tomorrow. Is he one of your favorites? He, he's, a, he's absolutely my favorite. Uh, I have to say, 
Um, you, you know, I, I always felt, and I know this week's Lech Lecha, but we're going to see this is a great period. And I always say, I use this in my speeches to Jewish audiences, non-Jewish audiences, because the story of Abraham is so powerful. And I always ask people, what was the last thing he did before he got the blessing uh, from the angels? And most people will say that he circumcised himself, which I can only imagine is a painful thing as an adult. Right. But that, that's, that's not it. He, what he did is he saw strangers in the distance people that were not like him, uh, uh, different. And, and what the Torah says, it's really beautiful, is he didn't greet them, he got up and ran out to greet them. In right. pain, he runs out. So the last thing he did was to show kindness, goodness, mercy. God was said to favor Abraham because he kept his tent open on all four sides. And, and I love that idea, that this idea of chesed and, and tzedakah is celebrated as the last thing uh, Abraham did before he got the blessing. But then this is even better. better. The second pillar... I think is a great Jewish theme is is when these angels reveal themselves to be angels, they give them the blessing, and then they say, and this is horror for a former mayor, and they say, hey, we're going to go destroy a city. And instead of just like doing what I think you and I would do if we were standing before angels, messengers from God, just saying, okay, he then fights and argues with the angels. Right. And it's almost like saying the last thing he did was goodness, kindness, the first thing he did after the blessing was a fight for justice. And, and, and this is what is so powerful, I think, about the Torah and, and one of the themes of Judaism, which is that no matter what, you do not accept injustice. You always seek justice, even if it means standing up to God himself. As we'll see later, you know, with, with, with Moses, uh, you have, uh, you know, when he came down from the, uh, from the mountaintop and uh, they, they were worshiping the golden calf, God says, no, I'll destroy these people. And, Moses argues with God. He has the audacity to argue with God, and, and, he's, and, he, and he utters those uh, those incredible words, if you destroy these people, then erase me from your book. I don't want any part of you. And so I, I just love Abraham for being such a righteous man, goodness and kindness to all people, not just people that look like you or pray like you, the strangers, and then always pursue justice no matter what. Those two pillars... I think about all the time, and, and I think it's just uh, such a, a seminally important part of our uh, human value. Senator, our resident rabbis are getting nervous over here that you may sneak in <laughs> and take over, I'll tell you. <laughs> Unbelievable. You said we could use the last minute for a little fun, so let me ask you about your favorite Jewish holiday. Is there one that jumps out on the calendar in terms of your favorite? Simchas Torah. It's, it's uh, one of the most joyous days on the Jewish calendar. It's actually... The day that changed my life, in the sense, uh, back in 1992, I stumbled into a Chabad house on Simchas Torah, and uh, that really began my journey into, into studying Judaism a lot more. Unbelievable. And favorite Jewish food, people want to know. Well, I, I was going to joke with you and say uh, kosher Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, uh, you know, I, there's a few foods I just love, but I, if you're going to make force me to say one, I just love you can get it in all different types, uh, but it's something I always look forward to. Senator, you're amazing. Good luck on Tuesday. It's always a delight speaking with you, and keep fighting. Like you just said, leaders are fighters. Keep fighting for all the good things in Washington. You got it. I look forward to seeing you soon, I hope. There he is, Senator Cory Booker on a Friday morning at JMA. Who would think that the uh, most spoken about, two of the most spoken about Divrei Torah to be given on these airwaves would be by a Jay Glazer of Fox Sports, who played rabbi for us months ago, and Senator Cory Booker.
uh, with those incredible words about uh, our father Abraham. Unbelievable. J.M. in the A.M. on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Lechacha. Candle lighting at 533. Malcolm Honeline is next. Weekly update and more. Keep it here at J.M. in the A.M.
in the AM. Shlomo Katz, Nigun Nishama. Next week, we'll be talking a lot about Shlomo Kalbach. In fact, we're going to be presenting on his yard site from Saturday night through Sunday night on our stream, 24 hours of Kalbach commemorating the 20th yard site. And we'll talk more about Rip Shlomo, I'm sure, starting next week early on. That is for sure. 20th yard site on the 16th of Mar Cheshvan. Friday morning on this final day of October, the 7th of Mar Cheshvan. It's Erev Shabbos. Parshas Lachacha. Big hello to our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend us and our live stream to all their readers. You can check them out for all the amazing articles that they post each day. Candle lighting at 5.33. It's going to be a lot earlier next week. Warning you in advance. <laughs> yeah, for those of you who need the advanced warning. Uh, and there are a lot of people who need the advance warning, by the way. Uh, much earlier next week, but we can wait an entire week for that. We change the clock tomorrow night. Uh, we'll fall back and 2 a.m. will become 1 a.m. Don't forget. Otherwise, you'll be completely off schedule on Sunday. Somehow, you'll either be too early, too late. I don't know. I guess too early in this case. Uh, oh no, too late, right? I don't know. One of them. Who knows? Partly cloudy with a high temperature of 58. The traveling Hasidim are going to be at the new Springville Jewish Center. They're going to be doing a free concert at the synagogue in Staten Island tomorrow night. If you're in the area, make sure to stop by. You will not regret it. They are pretty amazing. We dis- Where did we discuss them? Uh, oh, yeah, when we were at the um, the Achiezer show on Wednesday, we brought them up. They were at the White Shul recently and did a remarkable job. So enjoy. They continue to spread the word and do it in a very fun dignified and spiritual uh, fashion for many people around the country. Uh, Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update Fridays at this time. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Good to be with you again. Appreciate that. Aside from praying for his uh, speedy recovery, what were your thoughts when you heard of the assassination attempt on Rabbi Yehuda Glick? First, obviously, we pray for his release. I see the reports indicate that it's, there's been a slight improvement in his uh, condition, although it's still a, a long fight uh, for him. But, he's, uh, but I think the event can't be seen in isolation from the rising tensions in Jerusalem, the exploitation by Abbas, uh, an incitement uh, using the Temple Mount Arabayat uh, for... Uh, political purposes to to enrage the population, to uh, and and this constant refrain, knowing that there's nothing that incites people uh, more Arabs more than uh, telling them Al Aqsa is under siege, Al Aqsa is uh, denied access. When in fact the ones who are denied are Jews, and Muslims have uh, have more or less free reign. Today it was open again. There was much reduced. Uh, violence. There were a number of places where it took place, but the, there was an age limit uh, restriction on access uh, placed, and the, uh, the day of rage that was declared. I know there was a lot of diplomatic activity over the last 24 hours uh, involving other countries as well to get Abbas the message to, to cool things down, which shows that he can, uh, just as he can heat things up by his rhetoric and by the constant diet that we see in the Palestinian um, media. I, I do think that there's a question about why the government didn't act earlier when we saw the attacks on the Mount of Olives for the last month or more, uh, the grave uh, desecrations by the dozens on Rosh Hashanah, and, and uh, I think later it was Sukkot or, or Yom Kippur when the second rage, but constantly stone-throwing the attacks on the light railroad. 
you have to stop this right at its beginning. And there wasn't sufficient police coverage. There wasn't the kind of security that there should have been. There is now. And I know that they're stretched, and it's it's hard because you have to take police from other parts of the country where they're needed. But the, the, the Jerusalem is still the center and the heart of our people. And if people are afraid uh, to travel on the railroad or anything else, it's it's very detrimental. Now, so you said it can't be viewed as an isolated episode. So there's some type of, and, and I understand it's the rhetoric and the incitement, uh, as you just said, uh, you, you, you just presented a, uh, an argument that the head of the PA actually has control. You know, for somebody who complains he never has control over a situation, we see that diplomatically when people intervene, he in fact does have control. So, so just asking that, I know it sounds like a silly question, but if not for that environment, if not for that atmosphere, it is very possible, you're saying, that an episode like this would not have taken place. In other words, you need not just a motive and a desire for someone to take out somebody. You, you need a certain uh, feeling, a certain atmosphere in the, you know, between Jews and Arabs in order for there to be enough passion for someone to carry out an act like that. And the guy who carried it out, it turns out, was working at the Begin Museum. He had been in prison for 10 years. He heard uh, him speak. Uh, so it could have been um, not part of an organized effort. I mean, I haven't seen any evidence uh, so far that uh, he got instructions or something, but I think that the atmosphere that's created when they talk about mini intifada, when they they um, talk about the, the rising uh, of tensions and the attacks that, that took place, and that there aren't consequences of people, and, you know, they, they always argue that it's young people, although many of those arrested for some of the attacks were 20 and 30, uh, they're not young people, and that there are reports that young children were being paid to be the ones to throw because they know the police will be much more restrained in dealing with them. So when a 13-year-old or 14-year-old gets shot, it's not because they want to do it. It's not because they the police uh, don't try to avoid it. It's because he's engaged in, in a terrorist attack or, or, or illegal activities, challenging and, and threatening the lives of police and, and soldiers, and if they're the ones doing the attack, inevitably, they too become the victims. And it's the it's those who send them out there, and it's the parents who allow them to go out there, and it's the government that doesn't hold the parents accountable as well for these attacks and the actions of the kids. The police killed someone in the aftermath of this episode. Was it the right guy? Was it the one who tried to kill Rabbi Glick? They killed, well, they know who, who they think did it, and I think that there may even have been some witnesses or some, not I don't know if there were eyewitnesses, but I think that there were people who were in the, in the environment, let's say, and, and uh, I've seen nobody raised doubts except the American media reports who allegedly, who supposedly, I have to say that the, really the height of gall in, in what I've seen in terms of the media coverage was the NPR report yesterday, which started off by calling, uh, by describing the death of a Jewish extremist, when they call the murderers, uh, whether ISIS or Hamas, Hezbollah, militants, <laughs> that's the worst term that we'll use. And yet here is somebody who's, uh, you know, I guess his terrorism was that he did a hunger strike. I mean, and every, by everybody's reputation, he was an activist, which is the term you hear now. But to describe him as an extremist, I think it's really outrageous. Unbelievable. Uh, I'm, this is not. A, we're not here to discuss your personal situation, so I don't want you to think I'm going there. Uh, but in general, do you think Jewish leaders, especially those in Israel, will now rethink their own protection because of the environment right now? 
I don't think that, uh, you know, first of all, I don't think it's a solution to problems. It, it can be a deterrent. It can facilitate uh, people moving around. But look, the general climate, it's not just in Israel. It's everywhere when you have the threats of Hamas and Hezbollah. Are they being taken seriously? The answer is yes. People take them very seriously uh, in European countries and others. We saw yesterday in Peru a Hezbollah operative who was arrested, was going to attack Jewish institutions and Israeli embassy, and it's, it's deemed a very serious uh, incident. Uh, we have uh, things happening everywhere. Yeah, but if Rabbi Glick, uh, you know, after being threatened, asks the police either for protection or for their advice in terms of what to do when one is threatened, uh, based on media reports, they didn't respond too well. Well, I can tell you we do respond, and our scan operation, the Secure Community Network, is available to every institution or somebody who has a concern about security to advise them, to guide them, to even identify resources if they need it. Well, my question is when Faglin says that the police had an obligation to protect her by Glick, is that far-fetched? I I, I don't think you can protect every individual. I don't know the circumstances that Faglin was describing, so I can't really comment on it, but I think that uh, security is something we all have to take seriously. You can't provide security to everybody. You remember we had a fight in New York over a police car outside a, a famous Jewish institution protecting right. an individual, which was certainly warranted at the time. But um, you know, it just uh, it, there are resource issues, and frankly, if somebody wants to get them, they, they'll get them. It can, again, it can be a deterrent, and it can be uh, uh, it can serve as a, as a warning against somebody carrying an attack. Was an attack? I think you have to think about how do you allocate and how does the community meet its responsibilities. I've talked about it many times on the air over the years, about our responsibility, especially in schools and in schools. There are things that can be done. It doesn't cost a lot of money. You just can't protect and assign a cop to every person who, who gets threatened. Right, understood. But it's it's important to reiterate, especially in light of you know every, every time now we think of it could happen anywhere. We're thinking of Canada and all the other places where attacks have gone on. Um, no, noticeably, Jewish institutions have got to, and and they've been targets. I mean, maybe not you know so much in this area, but they've been targets before in this country, as we know. And uh, we also have to take hold to account. And and uh, there's a lot of reports that you know Qatar has given money towards some of these things or other foreign sources right. and Hamas's involvement. That we have to look at those who aided and abetted against our foreign countries like Qatar whose involvement in a lot of this stuff is, is well known, um, has to be has to be held to account and the international community has to act against them and not allow them, you know, to, to continue to function and even be greeted and pictured with the world leaders and American leaders. There has to be accountability. Closing the Temple Mount was the right response. Um you know, it's funny because we we many people think that when one exhibits a position of power and and shows that they're not going to tolerate the rioting, that that, that is the best response. Uh, then others think, of course, that, no, reopen the Temple Mount and, you know, get things back to normal, will be peaceful, that that's the correct response. He, we, we never know. We never know how to juggle the two responses and what the which, which is the right way to go. Well, it's more complicated because of the arrangement with Jordan and uh, their... Jordan officially oversees the waqf? Yes, and and it was Israel that turned it over. You remember uh, after '67 and involved the Jordanians. They had made a, a request that, in fact, Israel gave them even more than they requested. And they feel and and they reacted very strongly to the events of this week. 
publicly and privately to uh, the closings, and they felt that the, the, if the status quo gets changed without their permission, and that they bear the you know get criticized for it as well. And I think it, it was in part a deference to them, and in part because it's it's uh, it creates additional um, uh, it, it's attention, uh, you know, in the pressure cooker when they close it completely and it becomes an excuse then for further demonstration. Right. Nonetheless, you think it's outrageous that a Jew who wants to pray in the Temple Mount cannot. Yeah, you know, and when the world's criticism about what, what goes on, when they knew that it's in fact so uh, weighted in favor of the Muslims and how much deference is given to them and how much, uh, uh, you know, uh, covered and honor that uh, their requests uh, and and the, the limitations that they pl- place that if a Jew is seen praying, they can remove them. And I mean, it's ridiculous. Unbelievable. Um, everyone, everyone thinks they have the answer to this situation. <laughs> everyone, there are no easy answers. Ex- and, and I'm not. Th- that's what I'm trying to emphasize. It can't be a radical change. And I understand why the limits and things are put in place. But and you know, there are a lot of rabbis who don't think that people should go up there in any event. But I think that the totally way separate the world issue. portrays it and the media portrays it is so ridiculous that, that uh, you know, if they knew or if they would take the time or if they know and they just want to slam Israel. The halachic discussion is completely separate from this. It shouldn't, right. even, it shouldn't even be included in the political or diplomatic discussion. Absolutely. Um, and, and the location. And again, I don't know why I'm reacting this way. Maybe because I know of so many people who are just in that area, you know, for the Sukkot holiday. But we've seen terror attacks in every area of Jerusalem, unfortunately. But again, the geography of this attempted assassination, I think, just shook everybody. Because again, worldwide jury who's visited Israel has been there a million times. But I think we should be clear that the, the, all this violence is still very isolated, in particular areas. It's serious, and it shouldn't be diminished in any way. But people shouldn't be dissuaded. You can go to Jerusalem. You wouldn't see any sign of it. You wouldn't feel it. It's uh, it's still isolated. It's safe to go to Jerusalem. It's safe to visit, and and you don't have to fear an yeah. attack. You're making a very very important point, and I'm glad you're emphasizing that. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Special greetings to those listening on the NSN app, which seems to be taking off like crazy. More and more people tuning into the weekly update via that method each and every week. And I thank you. All right. Uh, you know, we've had, we've had in the past, uh, harsh language between the White House and the Prime Minister of Israel. It has happened in the past. For some reason this week, Whatever it is that U.S. administration officials said about the Prime Minister of Israel, and of course, media sources are attributing it to the President himself, which I don't even know if that's fair or not. You'll tell us in a moment. Uh, but this has really taken on a life of its own. Seems to be getting a lot more attention than, than past episodes. What could you tell us about this alleged statement about Bibi from the White House? Well, again, it's, uh, there's many facets to this. And you've asked an important question about why does it get such heightened attention. For one, I think it was the colorful language that was used, colorful in quotes. Right. Um, second, that it was attributed by uh, a reputable reporter uh, or journalist to, to high-ranking officials. And it comes on the heels of, of the other exchanges, the, the incidents with Ya'alom, and um, other tensions that, that increase. And, of course, whatever happens with Israel makes news, and when there's tension between the U.S. and Israel, they love to exploit it. So it becomes a big story. Uh, 
the, the fact is that there have been over the decades many times when there have been incidents, but you didn't have presidents uh, presidential um, staff um, ascribing to a leader of an allied country uh, the kind of uh, uh, appellations and terminology that we saw uh, applied to, to Netanyahu. So I think that it made it more scandalous and therefore a more interesting story to, to exploit. The I do not believe it's the president who said it. There are people who say, well, there's a culture of permissibility that uh, evolves from whatever their attitudes are, but if you saw the, the um, comments on it by the, uh, the spokesperson for the National Security Council, right. it was a repudiation of it, and saying that it was inappropriate mm-hmm. and counterproductive. But you have to read the full statement where the press kept pressing him about releasing the name, giving the name, holding them accountable. And we issued a statement. We said they should be held accountable. I don't know whether they have to be outed, but they have to be held accountable. There has to be some standard. Wouldn't have, you know, the, uh, this terminology applied to others. Although we have seen it where there were pretty nasty references by high-ranking officials to European leaders to, to others that get reported, and uh, and so I, I don't know what the, what the standard you use to, to measure it. Uh, what's important is that all the sniping stops from all sides, and that the the relationship is far too important, and especially now, given November 24th deadline on Iran. You know, there were people who speculate was this done to intimidate Netanyahu in advance of the, you know, the November 24th uh, Iran negotiations deadline. Was it for other reasons? Uh, was it because of his announcement of the housing and et cetera? And I think on all sides, there has to be sensitivity. There has to be uh, an appreciation of, of when we say things, how they're said, when they're said, but. The relationship is a, is of primary importance uh, overall, and I think that the language used, I don't think inappropriate, is strong enough for, for what was done. Right. Well, uh, e- even more so than, well, not more so, but it, as much so, I, I was, I, it was laughable to hear the word cowardice associated with the Prime Minister of Israel. I don't even know if his greatest enemies would have the nerve to say that he's a coward when it comes to uh, uh, his actions. Well, you know, you, the, uh, for me, one of the most important parts of this is that the the uh, how the countries in the region see it. I, I met last night with an important Muslim official, and it was the first thing he raised. And he said, could you explain it to me? Why why would they do this? What is the significance? Why why would they do it? And if you saw Kerry, uh, Secretary Kerry issued a very strong statement denouncing it. And in part, I, uh, I believe it's because uh, some people in the White House told members of Congress and others, according to reports, that it was the State Department person who wasn't a White House official. And I think he reacted very strongly to that, and his comments were very strong. And yesterday, as you know, the national security advisors of both Israel and the United States had their regular meeting, and they had a lot of photo ops coming out of it and tweeted, and et cetera, the pictures of Susan Rice and Yossi Cohen. but you can't paper over the damage because it is lasting. It creates an impression. And it's not good for the United States. It's not a positive impression of the U.S. being tough on, on Israel because the countries in the region say, look, if Israel gets treated this way, how are we going to be treated? How can we rely on it? No question about it. On the, on the housing thing, uh, so the, the, the analysis was that Bibi has to shore up or satisfy the quote-unquote right wing in Israel, is he suffering on that end politically that he has to that you make bold statements about housing in Jerusalem now? 
mean, there are a lot of people in Israel who, who say so and who, um, you know, that he that he is responding to the uh, to some defections or a feeling that that Bennett, is, by the way, has grown in strength according to right. uh, some of the polls. But you know, the the real substance of it, is, you know, raises a lot of questions too because these are not new developments. These are all developments that keep being rehashed. It's just the zoning decisions and advancing of things. But this is. The same housing that we that they were criticized for before, and I don't know why we have to keep announcing the same housing development. Right, but whether it's new or not, he uses the bravado to his advantage regarding it. Like he's the one making that story. He comes out with the statements, the press covers it, and analyzes why he's doing it. Right. So I'm saying that you're you're right. It may not be new, but he's the one creating the new news about it. Absolutely. So I'm saying that right. it's ex- right, which would yeah, which, which would indicate why. You know, which would indicate they may be they say in Israel, you know, and and they say that there isn't, and they have factors. They're not building new settlements. They're not building outside the areas that will remain, you know, by consensus with Israel. So why pay a price in the international community? You see how the Europeans and others exploit this constantly. Oh yeah, how they warn them and they they threaten them with uh, threaten Israel with all sorts of, you know, act, actions, boycotts, etc. Uh, over this. And right now we have such a heavy agenda of of concerns and and, and Israel being in a relatively good position in, in regards to a lot of with the you know Syria not being a threat today Egypt being an ally other things that find an opportunity to take advantage of this in a positive way right. and there are a lot of those things we have to discuss but I got to ask you one other question about what's happening on this side of the world there are, you know, to many people Tuesday starts the home stretch of the of the uh, Obama administration, right? Once the midterm elections are finished, there, there is great speculation about what that might or will not mean or, or might not mean to the future of the uh, United States-Israel relationship, at least in the short term. And, and I know you don't like predictions and you certainly don't like speculating. Maybe it would be better to discuss this a month from now. But any feelings or hesitations knowing that the midterms happen on Tuesday and the next morning the home stretch begins? We discuss it in two years from now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then I'll tell you what my prediction is. That the, look, it's certainly a watershed. This was a lot of things were put off. We know that there were discussions that Abbas was told to wait, and, and himself said that he would wait till after the uh, these midterm uh, elections. Um, the what was the question is who will control Congress? Will the, will the Republicans take the Senate? How will that impact the formation of policy? Will they be more assertive, less assertive? And remembering also that the initiative and, and the, a lot of the power still rests with the White House. You shouldn't dismiss it. We have two more years. That's why all the tensions are, are so serious, because it's not the last month of an administration. There are two more years where they have to work together, and we'll face many serious challenges together, uh, and the relationship too important to, to sacrifice for it. I, I don't see you know, some massive change in policy. I do think, though, that uh, a president especially as young as he is, will we'll look to his legacy and will look to, to create some change in things that, that his record will reflect afterwards. Uh, I think maybe the secretary as well. So I would not be surprised by increased activity or increased um, focus on, on certain things. But you can only do what's feasible on the ground. And you have Abbas who's not willing to do anything, yet he keeps getting excused. He keeps saying he's not going to negotiate. He doesn't negotiate. Uh, you see how Israel was forthcoming for Egypt when they had a partner now right. who, who, uh, to whom they could make these concessions. Look what Israel is doing. We had the guests from 
the uh, Syrian refugees, talking about the aid that Israelis are giving and how they're helping. It. I mean, Israel wants to be part of the region, is trying to, to help wherever it can. It acts with such, maybe sometimes even unjustified restraint, uh, but certainly important restraint. And uh, so you know, when people talk about um, what, what will happen, it's all speculative. We don't know of anything. The big deadline for me is November 24th and the Iran negotiations and the talk of a deal, no deal, extensions, you know, the number of centrifuges. People should not be lulled into indifference on it. I know it's been a long time. I know we've discussed this for 10 years. This is really a critical moment. And uh, as I said to a group yesterday, we will be judged for generations by by what happens. I know. I'm just. I, I just fear that on November 25th, you're going to throw up your hands when you see the uh, the reaction. I, I just. Uh, My hands will be the mo- the most modest reaction I can think of. Yeah, I can imagine that's true, but uh, I don't expect much from the U.S. and their leadership role on this. But we'll find out soon enough. Uh, the the Soda Stream move uh, this depressed a lot of people because it looked like a caving into the BDS movement. But according to its CEO. SodaStream is moving out of the quote-unquote West Bank because they've been offered an amazing facility in the Negev uh, by the Israeli government. And not only that, but the CEO, Mr. Birnbaum, said, according to the New York Times, that the company was asking for Israeli the Israeli government for permits so that the Palestinians could work, the ones, of course, that are part of the company, could work at the site in Lehavim in the northern Negev. We are committed, he said, to doing everything in our power to enable continuity of employment to our family of employees, and that family of employees includes all the Arabs that have worked for him. I want to know from all the boycotters and all the BDS guys who attacked SodaStream, and I believe him that this was an economic decision. As you know, SodaStream has had some economic problems, you know, um, sales down, et cetera, not because of boycott, I believe, but because, you know, the initial thrust when a new product comes out, uh, you have sometimes a diminution, but it's still in demand, and they have this new facility, which would be much more uh, economically uh, viable. Uh, but nobody talks about the hundreds, 500, 600 uh, uh, Palestinians who had jobs there, and so that doesn't include the Israeli Arabs who have jobs there and the Jews who had jobs there. But uh, we talked about this before after I visited there, and I heard from the mayor of one of the cities, uh, the Arab cities in, in uh, uh, well, I won't say, but a significant one, saying to me, you got to stop the BDS, you got to stop the boycott, because I can't put these people to work. They make ten times what they will make if they come back here, because they were paid equal with the Jews, Jewish employees, and they're given all the benefits, health care, etc., so this nobody thinks about, and these guys don't, don't have to worry about the employment of these hundreds of people and their families. You think about the multiple numbers. So, uh, Birnbaum argued that the plan's 500 Palestinian employees earned more money in better conditions and in SodaStream than they could elsewhere in the West Bank. Exactly. Unbelievable. And on top of that, the Times writes that he claims the integration of Palestinian and Israeli workers was like a pilot project for peace. So and, and always described as such, and we've met. I met with Birnbaum, and we, we visited the, the SodaStream factory. You have to go there and listen to, to what they said, what the employees said, how they're treated, how they have learned to you know the, the develop relationships between the employees and and the personal relationships that emerged. Uh, what did Sweden do? They they declared that they recognized Palestine as a state. What did they do? Exactly? All performances are not uh, legally binding decisions, you know, they, the Irish did it, the others are doing it. But symbols are important, you but always very say. Very important, and it has an impact, and it rewards Abbas for his 
uh, unwillingness to negotiate, his obstinacy, and that people don't see it is to me quite incredible. But uh, we're seeing it, and and the, there's no price that he has to pay. And he's getting, you know, they had the donors conference, and he gets pledges of hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to the PA, billions of dollars. Half the money pledge is supposed to go to the PA, not to, to Hamas and Gaza. But the, uh, uh, you know, he he has done made no concessions whatsoever on anything. Talks still about going to the UN and is trying to force this resolution, which the Jordan will have to introduce on their behalf, and either have an American veto or or face uh, you know a vote, what, whatever. And then says he's going to go to an international criminal court. <laughs> so, it's. It's quite outrageous that Israel it's, pulled it's out lateral its action. Is, Israel pulled out its ambassador from Sweden. It, it called him home, yes. And in Ireland, they did the same thing. Uh, I think the Irish, maybe the ambassador, might be in Great Britain. It may not be. Uh, uh, good point. And I have a separate one for Ireland. Um, you know what the you know what the what the worst thing? <laughs> I thank God I, I'm not saying this to families of the victims. You know what one of the terrible things is. Uh, uh, in the aftermath of all these beheading videos, and obviously the, the murder is the worst part, but I, I think one of the worst things um, uh, per, perception-wise is that now the regular rape and murder that ISIS is doing in so many areas, including these Iraqi villages I keep reading about, gets zero attention because nothing's as dramatic as these beheading videos, which you know seem to fascinate everybody when they started being distributed around the web. And the and you could and I'm sure you spend half your day doing this, just briefing government officials around the world about what ISIS is doing on a reg and Boko Haram and of course other terrorist groups are doing on a regular basis each and every day uh, to men, women, and children. We we met also this week with the leaders of the Azidi community, and I will tell you everybody who heard them walked out so shocked and so disturbed, drawing analogies when they said they were making a plea to the American government to bomb the roads to places where thousands of women are being held. They're raped. Some, one he described, he spoke to that week 36 times one morning. The girls from 11 years up and over, the boys from 10 and over, and all the males just killed, taken outside the cities, killed. There are, are wide-scale massacres still going on. And you don't hear the outcry and the, 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 still the fight of a Kobani, the fact that Turkey doesn't cooperate, the, the uh, support that these guys get, um, talking about what, what the steps uh, should be taken and what, what needs to be taken. It, it's, it's so horrific, the, the, the nature of, of this, that the indifference of the world continues, to, and, and it, it reminds you, by virtue of, of uh, what Sweden did and others did, that no steps are taken in, in, in regard, and very few of them are interceding with uh, even foreign aid or assistance um, to to these uh, to the victims and to the refuge millions and millions and millions of refugees that are emerging out of this. So uh, it's more than frustrating that the world can be indifferent to the suffering, and, and they're Muslims or Yazidis or Christians or others, and I cannot understand. Where are the demonstrations? Where are the manifestations? Where's the UN Security Council, the outrage of the, of the Security Council? You'd think the media would be fascinated by it, that they'd be reporting it on a daily basis. The headings were fascinating. Right, exactly, my and point. And came right. great recruiting uh, uh, tools for, uh, for people. But, you know, the, the, there's just no coverage, 
uh, we don't talk about Iran's role in all of this. We talk about the you know they're inviting them more into Iraq, and, and yet they're playing such a destructive role in the support that uh, these groups get from the terrorists get. There is one, I heard General Dempsey yesterday said that something smart about going and empowering the Sunni tribes in Iraq, which is the way we should have gone. But the, the mass executions still take place. Yesterday, they, they, or Wednesday, they executed 46 people in just one place, one city, and they go from place to place. We're seeing it now. In, in others, in Yemen, you know, which I've discussed for a long time. Yeah. And by the way, for, for people who want to really understand, yesterday uh, uh, Ali Veliati, who's the former foreign minister and one of the key advisors to Khomeini, gave a speech and he said, the capture of, of Yemen is the road to the freedom of Palestine. It passes through Yemen. This is a strategic location. This controls the Indian Ocean access, the Gulf of Oman, the Babel Mandam Straits, all the things that we talked about and warned about. Here you have him laying it out, why Iran, which is backing the Houthis, have now achieved this amazing success. They beheaded people in the Houthis in, in their fights. They're fighting al-Qaeda now, and in most instances beating them uh, in, in, uh, as they move to take control of the Straits and, and to take over the rest of the country. And, and you don't even see a newspaper article. You don't see any kind of coverage to... To the the fighting in Tripoli in, in Lebanon, which has gotten so severe, and the attempts to take over the city, and now you have the Sunnis fighting with uh, uh, the, the Lebanese army coming in against the Sunni Sunni jihadists who have come from uh, Syria who are fighting to, to join Al Nusra. We're seeing such shifts and coalitions all the time, and and uh, people who dismiss Al Qaeda have to read the reports this week about Al Qaeda's recruitment and growth in in Syria and and other areas where, I mean, it just are they still con- such great consequence. Are they still considered aligned with each other, Al Qaeda and ISIS? No, no, they, uh, ISIS was uh, broke off and and was thrown out, and now they are confronting each other. So there's a uh, sil- civil war among the terrorists. Uh, always, and even amongst the groups fighting Assad. That was the problem, that they were killing each other and not fighting them. Yeah, that's why I said to you weeks ago, remember we were talking about three sides in Syria instead of two? It's hard enough to follow when there's two sides involved. But it seems like there's multiple sides constantly. Many, many sides. You it's unbelievable. The fighting of the Kurds in, in Kobani, which sh- should never be allowed to fall completely, and shouldn't have been, even in this circumstance, there should have been many efforts made that we could have prevented the, the deterioration to this point in Turkey's refusal to help and, and allowing now they've allowed some Iraqi Kurdish troops to go in. I mean they're really fighting the Kurds and they're really making the effort. The mass executions you've you've told us that there are Israeli officials, I mean rightfully so, that always bring up to you the obligation that Israel might have to to do what they can for these victims. And that's and hence, by the way, what you just mentioned earlier about helping Syrian refugees, etc. Obviously, there are a lot of people who feel that the uh, Jewish people, that Israel has a an obligation to at least pay attention uh, to what's going on. But it's almost insurmountable. The 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 amount, the the um, uh, the uh, the number of of episodes that are occurring is just impossible. By the way, that may be the biggest favor that Washington's getting is that the media is ignoring it. Because if the media in the United States was not ignoring it, Washington would have to respond, would have to figure out a plan, and and it would be quite a task to get involved. But but there are media reports telling how coming from sources in the region, obviously that you know that ISIS gets paid for all the U.S. aid that goes in. They have to pay in order to be able to get the aid in, and that these guys siphon off the 
you know, get paid off bribes, right. etc. To, to, I mean, it's just ridiculous if you find out all the stuff and, you know, the oil shipments and uh, we bombed the refinery supposedly, but they're still shipping all the time oil. We ought to be knocking out oil, taking out the, the trucks as they go to Turkey to deliver oil to, to, to Assad. I mean, there are a lot of things we could do. There's a lot of stuff that, that the media has reported. Uh, the, you know, the good news hardly gets covered when Tunisia had the election this week. And the remarkable uh, development that against the predictions in Hada lost to, to the secular Nida uh, party that the, that who won 80 seats, they won 70, so they weren't eliminated. It's still going to be an important factor, and they're reacting in a very moderate way, but I'm sure that they're planning to, to take much more serious action in the future. Uh, so, that, because the, this party, the secular party, got 80 out of 217 seats. The Islamists still got 70. But it tells you where the people are at, and that the people are already rejected, and people are ready to stand, and we have to stand with them. And as is I mean, where, here I am pleading for help to Muslim countries. Meaning help for Israel. Help for the countries. We'll help Israel. If you stabilize those countries, if you stop the, the growth of Muslim Brotherhood and the spread of the Islamists, you help Israel, you help America, you help the West, you help everybody. I know, but the numbers seem so insurmountable. Yeah, but Tunisia is a smaller country. We don't need to, I'm not saying we have to, to go in and pour in billions of dollars. They don't need it. Mm-hmm. Things that will stabilize it will show the people that they get rewarded when they take a moderate choice towards democratic and more, uh, and, uh, and uh, a free party that's seeking freedom for the country. Mm-hmm. But if they see that, the only ones who get rewarded are those who take the most extremist uh, positions. Look, Egypt this week built a fence. You know, they cleared, which is an amazing thing, that in 48 hours, people were given notice, given compensation, and they bulldozed the houses and uh, and villages, uh, small places along the, the border between Gaza and Egypt, putting up a 500-meter uh, 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 buffer zone that it will run maybe 13 kilometers, which is the border between Gaza and Egypt, and they're going to build a moat in there and flood it, so they can't build uh, tunnels anymore. But they did, took the decisive action after the attack last week that killed 31 of their soldiers. There were actually three attacks. Uh, but they announced they're going to do the buffer zone. They did it. And they, in two days, it happened. And I think that this is, you know, uh, and, and we'll see all the criticism that they're going to come because why could they do it, the housing and stuff. They did it because they have to protect the country and they have to protect their citizens. They didn't, you know, do it without paying the people, without giving them notice. I'm sure they were unhappy about it. But the Gaza, and the, uh, this is a, uh, the Sinai's become a hub for these terrorists. But they operate out of Gaza, and they believe that Palestinians were responsible for involved in these uh, in the attacks, and, uh, uh, and and yet we should be supporting the, uh, yeah. them instead of seeing all the criticism of the Egypt. No question, a little motivation and hard work, and you see, you can get done right away. Uh, Malcolm, last second about election day. Remind everybody that every single election, it's important. Some might even argue an obligation to get out there and vote. Well, Ramesh and Yaakov and others, uh, gave me letters at the time when I did a voter registration job, a drive <coughs> many, many years ago, um, about that it is a huge, people have an obligation, and you live in a country that gives you the right. If you're deprived of the right, we all be demonstrating you have the right, and people don't take it seriously. And you may not think there are important races. There are, and it's important to show that we vote. And you have a presidential election coming up with those who aren't registered. Now's the time. So that you don't wait till the last minute and say, oh, I put it off. I forgot it. I didn't do it. 
now's the time. Everybody has to register. We have to show the elected officials that we're involved. We care. There were many wonderful events. The Flatbush Jewish Coalition had a great event. Many elected officials. It shows how interested. I know that the governor and a group of people came to Borough Park this week and others. It shows that they care about us. We have to show we care about it ourselves. No question about it. We'll speak after Election Day. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and I thank you. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Friday, 740, weekly update right here at JM in the AM. Kendall Lighting at 533 on this era of Shabbos. Parshas Lech Lecha will bench Bahab tomorrow. If you're not familiar with that, you can consult with your local rabbi. Bahab starts on Monday. A reminder that Matis has another amazing interview scheduled for JM Sunday. Rabbi Elimelech Goldberg, who's been getting a tremendous amount of attention. He's founder and international director of Kids Kicking Cancer. Uh, the voting for CNN Hero of the Year is taking place, and he is a nominee. Matis speaks with him with him on JM Sunday, this coming Sunday, live between 7 and 9 a.m. on our stream. That'll be new time, 7 to 9 a.m. on our stream at jmtheam.org. Make sure to be tuned in. And of course, Avrami will host a great Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, a fresh new show. Uh, make sure to be tuned in as you get ready for the clock to change. This time, each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Lech Lecha. With Parshas Lech Lecha, we are off and running with Jewish history. According to the Chinuch, there is one mitzvah of the Taryag in Parshas Lech Lecha, and that is found in chapter 17 at the end of the Parsha, namely the mitzvah of Brismila circumcision that Avram Avinu entered into a bris, and each and every time a Jewish baby is circumcised, the blessing that the father recites is, Lachniso Bavriso Shal Avram Avinu, to enter the baby into the covenant of Avram, our father. One would be remiss if one did not point out that starting from the first two words in the parsha, Lech Lecha, Avram is to leave his birthplace, homeland, and go to the land that God would show him off, show him and show the world his very special personality. So the land of Israel is literally front and center. The parsha begins with, the parsha ends with, at the mitzvah of circumcision, at that time, HaKadosh Baruch Hu reassures Avram again, you do yours, I'll do mine. You do yours, circumcision, I will assure, ensure that the land of Israel is yours and your descendants ad olam, forever. And that is why, interesting, tonight, when we have to wash and bench, and tomorrow, when we have to wash and bench, the first bracha of Birkas HaMazon is very understandable. Baruch Hashem, Hazon Thank you, Hashem, for the food that we are privileged to eat. 
The second bracha is, we thank God for the land of Israel. Okay, one could appreciate that our being sustained throughout the world is because Hashem sustains the land of Israel and through the blessing that He sends down to and for the land of Israel all of us as well receive blessing throughout the world. But note, what do we say regarding and in praise of the land of Israel? We say, no we give thanks to you Hashem Lokeinu a good, spacious land. And then we go on and we thank Hashem for certain very specific things. Namely, we thank Him for Thank you for taking us out of Egypt. And and for your covenant which you sealed in our flesh. What in the world is circumcision doing in the second bracha of the Pirkas HaMazom? And for your Torah. So the same way that it's clear to us that Torah and Eretz Yisrael go hand in hand. So much so that that is the reason He gave us the land of Israel, so that we could, should observe His Torah therein. Similarly, point out our rabbis, our claim to the land of Israel is because of our observing the mitzvah of circumcision. And lest anybody be troubled and say, wait a minute, isn't there another nation as well that circumcises, nearly the Arabs? The Shaloh HaKadosh already anticipated that question and he answers that their circumcision is incomplete, ours is complete, Mila and Priya, and therefore we are assured, as the Torah promises us, in chapter 17 of this week's parsha, that we will retain the land of Israel, as the Torah says in 17.8, La'achuzas olam, as an everlasting possession. I'd like to focus this morning on three words found in Parshas Lechlecha, in reality, can summarize really all of Jewish existence from the beginning of our peoplehood with Avraham till and through this very day. The three words that excite me so much are found in chapter 15 of this week's parsha, Pasuk 5. The, con- the background here is as follows. Avraham has just defeated the four kings who defeated the five kings. He's victorious in the war. But Hashem comes to him at the beginning of chapter 15 and says, Don't worry, Avraham, your reward is very great. And Avraham says, Thanks, but no thanks. After all, I am still I am childless. And it appears that the one that's going to take over, quote, my business 
even my business of monotheism is none other than Damesek Eliezer. And the rabbis say, and Rashi brings Damesek, means that he was the loyal student. He was able to give over Avraham's teachings and lectures. And so Avram basically cries out to God and says, you have not given me a child. So Hashem assures Avram that Eliezer will not be the one to inherit him, but rather a child that would come from within Avram will inherit him. And here it comes, chapter 15, verse 5, Literally, he took him, Hashem takes Avram outside, Vayomer, and he says, Habetna Hashemaimo, literally, look up to the sky, Usfora Kochavim, count the stars, Imtuchalis Porosam, can you count them? Vayomer, lo, and God said to him, Ko Yezarecha. Hashem said to Avram, so shall your offspring be. I would be honored if you bring a Chumash with Rashi to the table and look at the Rashi of chapter 15, Pasuk 5. And Rashi brings three interpretations on these words, Vayotzei Oso Hachutza, he took him outside. The first interpretation, the Fipshuto, the literal understanding is, Hotzio, he took him out, Me'oholo, from his tent, from his home, Lachutz, outside, Lerosa Kochavim. You get a much better view of the stars when you're outside than looking through the window of your house. Good. Ulefi Medrasho, Rashi goes to the second interpretation, that of the Medrash. Omalo, God said to him, Say, go out, not literally out of the house. Say, me it's Tagninus Shelcha. Get out of your astrological system, namely, Shereisa Bimazolos. Yes, Avraham, who was familiar with the study and the science of astrology. You saw in the stars, Avraham, that you are not going to have a son. You're right. Avram, that's your name now. Avram will not have a child. Avraham, but Avram will have a child. And so too your wife, Sarai, Telet, Sarah, please God, will have a child. So Rashi brings the second opinion from the Gemara Nedarim that God is saying, He took him out of his astrology, as if to say, there are rules of astrology, they apply to you, but I'm going to change the rules. But now, listen to this. Hotzio, Hashem took Avram out literally, Michalolo Shel Olam. He took him out of the cavity of this world. And he literally placed him above the stars, and that's what it means. Habet no. Habet, says Rashi, is. Look down. He put him above the world and he said, I want to show you that you and your prophet
progeny after you, you and the Jewish people after you, will be lemala minateva. You will be in a supernatural existence, as the Ramban says in many places in the Torah, at the end of Acharemos and in Hazinu, that all other nations have their guardian angel, except the Jewish people who are governed by God and God alone. And so, this concept of Ein Mazal L'Yisrael, what does it mean? It doesn't mean like, unfortunately, the New York Times understands, when it quotes from Nature magazine. In 1993, Nature, a scientific magazine, had an article by a George Lewis, who entitled the article, Casualties and Damage of the Gulf War. And he said, it doesn't make sense that all of these missiles which were fired upon Israel and the casualties and the damage was so little. So we never find in a scientific journal the word luck. But they concluded, Israel is lucky. And we say, excuse me, Ein Mazol Yisrael, which is a Gemara in Shabbos, 156a at the bottom. It doesn't mean, God forbid, that the Jewish people have no luck. It means we are not bound by any of the norm. And so, I will share with you, which everybody should know, but you should be so proud of this. This past summer, during the war with Hamas, an Iron Dome battery commander had this to say. A missile was fired from Gaza. The Iron Dome precisely calculated its trajectory. He said we know where these missiles are going to land, down to a radius of 200 meters. This particular missile was going to hit either the Azraeli Towers, the Kiryat, which is the Israel's equivalent of the Pentagon, or a central Tel Aviv railway station. In any event, hundreds, if not more, could have died. We fired the first interceptor. It missed. We fired the second interceptor. It missed. And this itself was very rare. I, reports this commander, was in shock. At this point, we had just four seconds until the missile lands. We had already notified emergency services to converge on the target location and had warned of a mass casualty incident. Suddenly, Iron Dome, which calculates wind speeds, among other things, showed a major wind coming from the east. A strong wind that sends the missile into the sea. We were all stunned. I stood up and shouted, there is a God. I witnessed this miracle with my own eyes. It was not told or reported to me. I saw the hand of God send that missile into the sea. And if you don't mind, I'd like to change just one word based upon this morning's Torah reading. Hashem sent that missile, Hachutzah, literally outside, because the Jewish people are outside.
outside the realm of the norm and the natural. Our very existence. How do we begin the Pesach Seder? Holach Ma'anya. And we say, Hoshata Hocha. This year, now we are here. Everybody understands that to mean, now we are here, but next year we're going to be, please God, right? So, but you should know, stop, that is the miracle. The very survival of the Jewish people is the greatest miracle of all. And therefore, I believe that, God's going beyond the natural, on behalf of the Jewish people, is a call to us, and it behooves us that we have to respond in kind. He goes beyond the norm for us. We have to reciprocate in time. And therefore, we've got to do not the norm, we've got to go beyond the norm. It's wonderful that we come to shul on time. No, you've got to come a few minutes earlier. There's no comparison when you start davening exactly when they start, or you have the opportunity to reflect a minute or two, or even maybe three, before they start, what a different davening it is when your talus and tefillin is on, when they start with the first brachos. I'll never forget, I was at a levaya, and a son was eulogizing his father, who was so meticulous and careful about coming to shul on time, that his father told him that when you come on time, you're already late. What a powerful idea. We all give tzedakah. But Vayotseo Soachutza says, come on, we can give that little more which is going to make that difference because everybody gives that little more. There's a lot of a difference which is now being raised. And so it is. You come home from a hard day's work and you're tired and you probably are justified in being tired. And maybe it's even the seventh game of the World Series. And that's what you might want to do. But the Jew, Vayotzei Osoha Chutza, has a Chavrusa. And he'll push himself to go. And that's what makes us the very special people that we are. And that will bring us, please God, to the finish line. Shabbat Shalom to all.
that Rabbi Yudin quoted this morning. Spar, that's Yossi Green at JM in the AM. Candle lighting 533 on this Erev Shabbos. A lot earlier next Erev Shabbos. In fact, in Jerusalem this week, it's pretty early. Candle lighting at 415. I hear it's raining in Yerushalayim. Uh, someone emailed me. I put this on Facebook. Someone emailed me. Uh, they started to say the same Talamutter last night in Israel, and it's uh, raining in Yerushalayim today. How do you like that? We don't start saying the same Talamutter until um, December. But in Israel, it's uh, said as of the 7th of uh, Mar Cheshvan, which is, of course, today. Election Day is Tuesday. Make sure to vote. I want to remind you that the uh, our friends at Mothers of Multiples, Neshe Cares and Maimonides Medical Center, and I want to just thank uh, Dr. Borgen. We got an unbelievable reaction to the conversation we had with Dr. Borgen from Maimonides on the air yesterday. So a, a big thank you to him, one of the nicest guys in the world, and he uh, joined us yesterday from the uh, Cancer Center, and I thank him. Uh, anyway, Neshe Cares and Maimonides present Mothers of Multiple Support Group this coming Tuesday night. Rosa Roberts Weinberg is going to be speaking at Maimonides Hall, 950 49th Street, between 9th and 10th Avenues, and you're all encouraged to be there. Uh, Neshe Cares coordinator is Mati Atlas, M-A-T-T-I dot Atlas at Yahoo.com, M-A-T-T-I dot Atlas at Yahoo.com. If you uh, want to get your reservation in, but we highly recommend the Mothers of Multiples group. It really is, uh, really is amazing. They do great work to say the least. And everyone should take advantage. And if you're a mother of multiples, go on out there and enjoy. Um, Naomi Nachman on this week's edition of Table for Two speaks with Tamar Genger of the Joy of Kosher. Uh, Liz Ruvain, Liz Ruvain from Kosher Like Me and Malki Hirsch. From the Facebook foodie group, Kiss the Kosher Cook. It's a girls' gab fest about their love of food and cooking. And this is coming up next. You can actually see it. You can actually see the show. If you go to the homepage of NahumSiegel.com, you can hear it. 
right after JM and the AM uh, on jmandtheam.org. Again, it's uh, Tamar, Liz, Malki, and, of course, Naomi Nachman doing the show starting at 9 a.m. Eastern time on our stream right here at jmandtheam.org. Peter Burkowski is with us live via telephone. The minion, and it's funny, Rabbi Yudin just concluded his words with the, with the expression, get to the finish line. I thought that that was a, uh, a reference to the New York City Marathon, although I doubt it, frankly, but a, quite a coincidence. And um, he also spoke about the importance of being at Minion on time and even earlier than on time. Well, as a gentleman who could speak about both these topics, Peter Burkowski has been coordinating the New York City Marathon Minion for the last 31 years since the race in November of 1983. And he joins us live via telephone. Peter, I hear you're in the middle of training this morning. Good morning. Yes, I am. I'm training by standing out in the cold in front of Super Duper Bagel in Livingston, um, <laughs> getting used to the cold because it's going to be a lot colder on Sunday. I'm, I'm selling poppies for the Jewish war veterans this morning. Well, if it's 44 degrees now, what's it supposed to be early Sunday morning? Well, it's going to be around 40, but it'll be very windy, so the wind chill factor will uh, really affect the runners, especially during the first two miles running across the uh, Verrazano Bridge. But um, uh, the key is to stay in the middle of the road, uh, surrounded by a lot of other warm bodies. Yeah, but the and, only uh, but the only way to see me if I'm giving out water on Bedford Avenue at mile 10 is to be on the side, Peter. That's the uh, is to be on your right side. You can't uh, which, which, you're going to be on the right side or the left side well, of the road? It would be your right side. Okay. I'm not running. I haven't run in a marathon since 1984. But so, so can you I can't at le- let go of the minion. So can you at least tell your colleagues that if they want to stop by during the race, they got to be on the, on the right side of Bedford Avenue? <laughs> will you will you uh, have a big sign there? Game in the AM. Uh... I doubt it, but I but I'm a very good I'm a very good handoff guy when it comes to the cups of water. I'll okay. tell you that much. I, I will mention it to Asenia tomorrow morning. There you go. So Peter Burkowski ain't running, but he ain't giving up the minion. Uh, is it true that over 200 people will be participating Sunday morning? We expect about 200. Uh, we never know in advance because everything is by word of mouth, and uh, somehow that word of mouth reaches. Six continents. Unbelievable. We've had people from Hong Kong and Australia, and uh, Antarctica is the only continent that hasn't been represented yet at our minion. Unbelievable. It's the uh, the New York City Marathon. Fred LeBeau, who many people remember, actually attended the the minion at times, right? Yes, and ironically, uh, interesting you brought that up. Uh, most of the people who will attend the minion tomorrow, uh, on Sunday will not even know the name Fred LeBeau. That's true. I mean, it's been 20 years. I think we just celebrated his 20th yard site. Wow. man who uh, meant a lot to New York City. I think he was one of the most outstanding personalities in New York City of the 20th century. No question. Uh, and also meant a lot to the Jewish community. And uh, did, uh, did great favors for us. And the founder of the New York City Marathon. And the father of the marathon, the first president of the New York Roadrunners Club, the man who opened up the marathon to... Um, to women, to professionals. Um, and if anybody wonders now why the marathon is never on uh, Simchus Torah, it's because of Fred. He made sure to push it out uh, you know, late enough so it would never coincide with Yuntus. That's correct. That first year actually was in October. It wasn't until 1986 that it was moved to November right. because uh, the last uh, last Sunday in October would have been Simchus Torah that year. But Fred moved it, and he was very proud for the rest of his life to tell people That's right. that that he had moved the uh, marathon so it could never conflict 
with a Jewish holiday. All right, Peter, send regards to the runners. It's basically Staten Island, Fort Wadsworth, three minyanim Sunday morning for the runners, and you'll take care of their talisman's filling, right? I will. Thank you, and thanks for your support over the years. Uh, you and I have sort of grown up together, and I uh, <laughs> wish everybody a good job. Thank you, Peter. Peter Bukowski, it's the uh, Marathon Minion, and that doesn't mean it's a fast minion. It means it's a New York City Marathon Minion. Three Minionim in Fort Wadsworth. Unbelievable. You can contact Jay Runners for information, and uh, obviously you could speak with Peter and uh, get information as well. Good luck to everybody running the New York City Marathon. If we make it there to mile 10 to give out water, then... Uh, Say hi. We always get at least one or two shout-outs from some of the runners out there who are JM and the AM listeners. Yankee Lemmer with Yismach Moshe to close things out at JM and the AM. Yankee Lemmer, brand new with that Yismach Moshe. Candle lighting at 5.33 on this era of Shabbos. Don't forget we change the clock tomorrow night. We go back to standard time tomorrow night. There will again be a seven-hour difference between us and the Holy Land. Election day is Tuesday. Make sure to vote, everybody. Time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM and the AM. The sun is going down. It's shining through the trees. Another week's gone by. So throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do Go on home and find a gift That's waiting there for you Oh, it's time to say good Shabbos Cause all your work is done Gonna spend the day together with the Holy One a special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine. Man and his creator, it's a very special sign. Your candles will be burning, they'll fill your home with light. Singing songs of Shabbos, well in. To throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do Go on home and find a gift That's waiting there for you Oh, it's time to say good Shabbos Cause all your work is done Gonna spend the day together with the Holy Special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine.
Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Wraps up an amazing week for us here at JM and the AM. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. My thanks to Senator Booker who joined us earlier. Uh, to Malcolm Honline, of course, or by Yudin. Uh, the um, schedule next, Naomi Nachman with the amazing roundtable of uh, phenomenal chefs and foodies coming up between 9 and 10 on Table for Two. That's next at jmnam.org. And you can see it on the uh, homepage at nachomsegel.com. Tomorrow night, Avrami hosts Saturday Night Siegel. And Matis has Rabbi Goldberg. Um, kids kicking cancer on with him on JM Sunday. Tune in between seven and nine on our stream at jmnam.org. And I will speak to you on Monday, Bezrat Hashem. Have a fabulous job. It's a great weekend. Till next time, Malcolm Siegel reminding you, remember to past, live the present, and trust the future.